Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the President and Vice Presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. issuesetc.org slash one of the Epiphany hymn, The Only Son from Heaven. This coming Sunday, Jesus is going to be at a wedding in Cana, turning water into wine. Is it mere happenstance that this is where Jesus does his first sign and reveals his glory to his disciples, or is there something more to the setting he chose for his very first recorded miracle? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the second Sunday after the Epiphany. Pastor Peter Bender will be our guest. Dr. Mark Wood joins us a little bit later. We'll talk about a new study on worship attendance post-pandemic. It's down, probably because of the pandemic, down more than it would have been. Then Pastor Andrew Garricky joins us to talk about Lake Pope Benedict's study of Lutheran theology. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome back. Todd, good to be with you as always. Why did you want to begin by pointing out that the divine service on Sunday morning is first for Christians? Well, I I thought that this would be something important to discuss at the outset for this particular Sunday because it is the Sunday of the Gospel according to St. John chapter 2, the so-called first sign of Jesus at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, where he changes water into wine. And at the end of the reading, it says that Jesus manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Every divine service at which we gather, the people who are gathering there are the baptized faithful in the congregations of the Christian church, with the called and ordained minister who is there to proclaim the gospel to them, to lead them in confession, to absolve their sins, to give them to eat of his body and to drink of his blood. And as such, every divine service of the Lord's preaching and the Lord's supper is a celebration and an epiphany of who Jesus is and what he has done. So let us not forget that the divine service is first for Christians, for the church. And this does not mean that the outsider, the unbeliever, is not welcome. Quite to the contrary, but rather by confessing our faith, by celebrating the great mysteries of the faith, by having these 
epiphanies opened up to us, which happens in every proper sermon in the church, hearing the word of encouragement from the gospel of Christ and celebrating the good gifts that that the Lord Jesus gives to his church and to his people. This is how the outsider, if they're visiting, if they're brought by a member, is led to see or have an epiphany themselves about who Jesus is and about what he has done and about the rich and abundant life that is found in Christ. So it's like the Old Testament church. Uh, She was at her best when she unapologetically engaged in the liturgy of the Old Testament divine service around the tabernacle, the, the temple of the Lord. And the outsiders were attracted to this uniqueness. And there was a theology of the cross there in the Old Testament all around the sacrificial system. And it was so radically different from the pagan world in which so many other nations and cultures lived that it became attractive in and of itself. But we should not forget that our divine services are, every Sunday is a celebration of Easter and the hope of the resurrection. And that is certainly accented in Jesus changing the water into wine in this second Sunday after the epiphany of our Lord. And so by being who we are and celebrating the epiphanies, how the Lord reveals himself to us for who he is and what he does is so very important. And uh, the, the divine service is for Christians and we should bring the outsider in, but they are allowed then to see uh, what it is that we believe and teach and confess and are celebrating. So Today's epiphany in the second Sunday after epiphany involves seeing Jesus as our redeemer who has come to restore the fallen creation and most especially to restore fallen humanity and how the incursion of sin into this world through Adam's fall has corrupted our nature as human beings and It includes most especially the corruption of what it is to be a man and what it is to be a woman and the institution of holy matrimony. So has God thrown it all away? You know, has he thrown away the order of creation? Has he thrown away what he has made because it has been defiled by sin? No. In the person of his son, our redeemer, Jesus redeems the creation. So our creator affirms his creation by redeeming and restoring her to the life of love from God for which she was created in the first place. And I intentionally, Todd, use the feminine pronouns here. You know, our creator affirms his creation by redeeming and restoring her life. Those feminine pronouns are chosen deliberately here for the creation because they bespeak reception. Uh, which is the characteristic of how life is ordered to receive from God his love and his good gifts. And that's the nature of femininity, to receive. How does the Collect for the Day read for this coming Sunday, and what would you tell us about it? This is the Collect for the second Sunday after the Epiphany, for the Sunday of the changing of the water into wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. Almighty and everlasting God, who governs all things in heaven and on earth, mercifully hear the prayers of your people and grant us your peace through all our days. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. So 
Notice, we began at the outset by speaking about the divine service as being for the baptized faithful, for the church. And so that's contained in the collect, isn't it? Mercifully hear the prayers of your people and grant us your peace through all our days. The collect confesses that our God governs all things. And he does so despite the problem of sin that has invaded the creation through Adam's fall. We still affirm that he is governing all things. Secondly, that we're bound up with and connected to the entirety of God's creation in heaven and on earth. And I think this is something that we have to accent more and more as Christians in the 21st century and the naturalistic world in which we live and speak against the idea of quote, being spiritual as having nothing to do with the earth in which we live and the universe in which we live, the creation of the heavens and the earth, but really that mankind is the crown of God's creation and that everything in the creation in heaven and earth is created for man and for our enjoyment. And the heavens declare the glory of God, you know, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. And we're bound up with and connected to God's creation. So we pray here that our creator would hear our prayers. That's the, what the collect says. And grant us peace through all our days. Now, under the things through which we suffer, or that may be adverse to us. And I began, you know, this collect by mentioning again the miracle of the wedding in Cana of Galilee, where Jesus turns water into wine. It seems, you know, when you think about the miracles of Jesus, it seems among the most insignificant, or some might even argue kind of like uh, superfluous or worthless, I mean, uh, without significant purpose and meaning. I mean, to restore sight to a blind man, that seems to be a good thing, or hearing to a deaf mute, or to restore strength to the legs of a cripple. But water into wine? I mean, can we just drink water? I mean, if the wine runs out, so what? But this is the first sign that John brings out in his gospel. And so it is about first things. It is about our creator. And it's about the redemption of creation. It's about the ordering of things and the reordering of things and the reconstituting of things and the restoration of things. And the collect for the day really brings that out. The intro, it is Psalm 66 selected verses and I believe the antiphon being, or one of the verses being drawn from Psalm 92. That's right. And of course, the collect comes after the intro, after the Kyrie, after the Gloria and Excelsis. I always like to start with the collect because in the pithy language of the collect, it collects, if you will, the theme for the entire Sunday or festival. But the intro, it comes first, doesn't it? You know, you've had the invocation, the confession, and absolution. And the intro, it coming first at that point in the divine service, look again how it is for the baptized faithful. It's for the children of God. And this intro, it is just full of celebration. And it's full of celebration as it talks about, again, creation and redemption and brings the two themes together. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. 
Say to God, how awesome are your deeds! So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Glory be to the Father. So notice how the entire intro it is this call to worship, not just of the people of God, the baptized faithful, but of all of God's creation. And then it ends with that petition. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. We'll think about that again when we talk about seeing the backside of God and the manifestation of God's glory through the humble, ordinary means by which he shows us his mercy. So in the intro for the day, this theme of our humanity, again, being connected to or bound up with God's good creation is announced. And then it's a song of praise to the Lord, the Most High, wherein all of God's creation praises him and sings his praises. Isn't that a an interesting concept? I think we've talked about this before at times that the creation, you know, animals and even the mountains and the hills and the stars and the sun and the moon and so forth, praise God by being what God has created them to be and for doing what God has created them to do. And so it is the song of praise to the Lord and all of creation praises him and sings his praises. And, you know, I mentioned the feminine character of the creation at the outset you remember the Christmas hymn, Joy to the World. The original language is joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king and heaven and nature sing. And I think maintaining those feminine pronouns there is so appropriate. I'm disappointed that the neuterizing of the language has come into play with such a beloved Christmas carol as this and changed let earth receive her king to let earth receive its king. Well, God's masculine character is exhibited not in sexual ways here, but God's masculine character is exhibited in the givingness of God. He is the source of creation. That's what a father is, the source. That's what our creator is, the source. And that's uniquely kind of a masculine characteristic, the fountain and the source of the giving of life. And then that which receives this life, that's a feminine attribute. And that's why for so many centuries, the creation has been referred to in feminine terms. So all of creation praises the Lord because of his works which are gracious and life-giving. The enemies cringe before him because of his power, but we the faithful bless God because he has not rejected our prayer or removed his steadfast love from us. And that's the intro. It's how we enter into God's presence then to celebrate the epiphany from this particular Sunday, Jesus as the redeemer of creation. How does the Alleluia verse read for this second Sunday after the Epiphany? The Alleluia verse is from Psalm 148, verse 2. And it sounds a lot like the introit, but it includes the angels. So Alleluia, praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts 
Alleluia. You think of the hosts of heaven, the entire company of heaven, the angels and the archangels and the company of the redeemed, the apostles and prophets and evangelists and martyrs who have gone before us. So the verse calls upon the angels of the Lord to praise him because the angels of God long to look upon the wonderful work of God's redemption. We see this in the Gospels where there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 who need no redemption and how their angels always see the face of their father in heaven and the angels long to look into the redeeming work of Christ for humanity and for all of creation. So the Lord's redeeming work is the joy of the angels. And the Lord's redeeming work is also the sum and substance of the angels' ministry and the messages of proclamation that they are privileged to give. We think of the angel of the Lord to the shepherds. There is born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so many other manifestations, Gabriel to Mary or to Zechariah, all of these proclamations are the angel's greatest joy to, to proclaim the the saving and redeeming work of Christ, whom they serve for our benefit. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the second Sunday after the Epiphany, and when we return, the Gospel reading, The Wedding at Cana. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January would make a great gift for your pastor. It's the New Concordia Commentary on John, chapter 7, verse 2, to chapter 12, verse 50. This latest Concordia Commentary is written by Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Bill Weinrich. Learn more about our January Book of the Month at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The New Concordia Commentary on John 7, 2 to 1250. I'm Chaplain Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Congregations work hard to keep the Word of Christ dwelling richly in His disciples now and into eternal life. We work to help and support that effort. Learn more at lcms.org worship. You'll find resources on the church here, Bible studies on the hymns of the day, audio helps for learning to sing our services, and look for worship planning resources to find the latest from LCMS Worship. That's lcms.org slash worship. May the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Christological. Creedal. Confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc. Are you looking for a confessional Lutheran church in southeast Oakland County, Michigan, just north of Detroit? Ascension of Christ Lutheran has been proclaiming the gospel and administering the sacraments since 1951. Ascension of Christ Lutheran is also a proud supporter of Issues Etc. Join us for the Divine Service every Sunday at 1015 a.m. in Beverly Hills, Michigan. You can also find us on the internet at ascensionofchrist.org. You wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The school's division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. 
Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. no resurrection apart from death and so in this designation resurrection jesus calls himself as the savior from death and destruction he is the one in whom the life of man lost in the first and primal disobedience is once more proffered to man as grace and gift that's a little bit from the issues etc book of the month for january the concordia commentary on john chapters 7 2 through 12 50 by Issues Etc., regular guest, Dr. William Weinrich. Find out more about this great commentary at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and order it, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. We're talking with Pastor Peter Bender, looking forward to Sunday morning, the second Sunday after the Epiphany. Peter, if you would read the Gospel for this coming Sunday, John 2, the first 11 verses, and take us through it. So here's the gospel for the day, what we've been waiting for always. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana, in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Now, very quickly, Todd, I'd like to take you through some points of epiphany, if you will, within this Gospel narrative. Going back to how we began, that the, the divine service is for the church, the baptized faithful. You, you see that reflected throughout this Gospel in Whatever he says to you, do it. Do whatever he tells you. And then 
they receive the word from Jesus and he does what he tells them to do. You know, we talk about the sacraments being administered according to Christ's institution, that is to say, according to his word. And you see that kind of theme accented throughout this gospel at this wedding feast. The third day, we should think of the resurrection and new life. A wedding, the eschatological fulfillment of Jesus' work, which involves the restoration of creation, redemption, and renewal that we all look forward to. Jesus' mother directs us to Jesus and his word. We think of the church. The church is always saying to us, whatever he says to you, do it. The psalmist tells us that wine gladdens the heart. It is the beverage of rejoicing and the beverage of celebration. It's why Jesus uses wine in the Lord's Supper. Jesus' hour, my hour has not yet come, is a reference to his death. The six water pots filled with water for the Jewish rites of purification, sanctifying and purifying, are replaced with the best wine that anyone has ever received. You think about purification through water, one cannot help but think of baptism and the Old Testament uh, rites of purification that involved water that leads into a sanctified and worthy celebration of the gifts of God. And for us, baptism leads us into communion, fellowship, and the joy of receiving Jesus' body and blood. Notice it is not the water, if I can use kind of echo language from the small catechism, it is not the water indeed that did these things, but the word of God in and with the water. It's by Jesus' word that this, this water is transformed into wine. And we think about Jesus' word spoken of the water of baptism that makes it life-giving water, or Jesus' word over the bread and wine that makes of this bread and wine the very body and blood of Christ. The servants, the servants know the source of the new wine, Jesus. And the servants live from his word, Jesus. And the servants follow his word, the word of Jesus. Again, here, notice this is what the life of the church is all about. The calling of the bridegroom, you know, reminds us of Jesus, the true bridegroom, who is bridegroom for his bride, the church. This line, you have kept the good wine until now reminds us, you know, everyone serves the good wine first, but you've kept the good wine until now. It reminds us of the blessed hope of the resurrection and of the new and eternal life that is yet to come, but which we so much look forward to and we yearn for as Christians. So isn't this interesting? This is the first miracle, the first sign at the beginning of John's gospel at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and it is already transporting us to the culmination of his redeeming work in the resurrection, the eschaton, the life to come. Signs are miracles that teach us who Jesus is and what Jesus does. So it would certainly be wrong to interpret this uh, miracle as, if you believe in Jesus, then he'll always provide you with wine so you never run out of it at every celebration. I mean, that's not the point. The point is that Jesus brings about the new creation, the redemption of our bodies and souls, and restores that which was broken in the fall. The purpose of the scriptures and of these signs and of the gospel of John is, as he said at the end of his gospel, that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing we may have life in his name. And so at the end of this narrative, 
He manifested his glory in this miracle, the glory of his redeeming love for his creation and his disciples believed in him, which was the point. So, Todd, I do not believe with respect to this miracle that when Jesus says to Mary, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? That Jesus is reprimanding Mary in the slightest. But rather, by his question, he is drawing our attention to the fact that this miracle and this transformation of water into wine is about the redemption of creation and marriage and family and that it has everything to do with his hour. That is to say, it has everything to do with his atoning sacrifice upon the cross that brings about this redemption, the new wine of the new creation. The point is, it's not a trivial miracle, but the sign of the transformation of water into wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee is a sign that Christ has not come to destroy the creation or to throw away marriage and family and the gift of human sexuality, what it is to be a man or a woman, a husband, a wife, a father or mother, but rather has come to redeem it and to restore it the way God intended it to be. So it's significant that the first sign takes place in the context of a marriage. The fall into sin took place in the context of that first marriage between Adam and Eve, where they turned away from God's life-giving word and it plunged them into sin and brought death to the creation. Well, God has not abandoned his creation. That's what this miracle proclaims. Nor has he abandoned the essential order of creation in man and woman and bridegroom and bride as he ordained it from the beginning, but rather in the person of his son, he has come to redeem humanity, marriage and family. And that's what this miracle, this epiphany, celebrates. And so the miracle is a significant affirmation, I would argue, of the institution of holy matrimony as God ordained it at creation and redeemed it in Christ Jesus. And what an important message we need to proclaim during this era of corrosive, woke ideology that is so prevalent in the world today. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, the second Sunday after the Epiphany, according to the one-year lectionary. We'll be in the Old Testament where God promises Moses that he will be present with him in Exodus 33. If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. Bequests aren't subject to federal tax or capital gains taxes. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the word of the Lord endures forever. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. 
the faith once for all delivered to the saints. You're listening to Issues Etc. Have you ever wished you could see Ad Crucem's products before buying them? Well, you can. Come visit us at our workshop in Littleton, Colorado, and watch how we make our Christmas ornaments and print our icons. Check out the quality and fabric of our church banners, or choose some greeting cards, posters, or jewelry. Of course, if you can't make it to Colorado, we're always open online. For details and directions, visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. stanza of the Epiphany Hymn, The Only Son from Heaven. We're looking forward to Sunday morning with Pastor Peter Bender. I'm Todd Wilkin. Peter, the Old Testament reading for this coming Sunday is Exodus 33, 12 through 23. Take us through that. This takes place after the golden calf incident at Mount Sinai, and they are about to depart from Mount Sinai. So it's Exodus 33:12 through 23. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you, in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do for you, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. 
So I think right away you see the strong connection to the congregation of Israel and how they are the Lord's people. Like we in the New Testament, the baptized faithful are the Lord's people. The church is the assembly of all believers among whom the gospel is preached and the sacraments are administered. And his presence goes with us and he has pledged that his presence would go with us. You can see the connection in this Old Testament reading to the gospel reading for the day that centers in the manifestation of the Lord's glory. In changing the water into wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the Lord's glory shown to Moses. So as Moses saw the Lord's backside, so if you will, in the changing of the water into wine, there is a veiling of Jesus' glory, which nonetheless manifests his glory. Beholding the glory of the Lord is a revelation of the Lord to us by his mercy and grace. Rather than in the raw displays of God's power. In other words, apart from his mercy and grace, we cannot see him rightly, but rather we would be destroyed by him. So Moses is allowed to see his backside and he transforms the water into wine and we receive him in the humble means whereby he pledges his presence to us. But we are not to see these things or understand these things as a second-class manifestation of God's glory, but rather the only way we can see the glory of God and know his presence, that it is with us, namely through the humble ordinary means of manger and human flesh and passion, a suckling infant at Mary's breast, the cross, the suffering, the hardship, the death, the water, the bread, the wine. These are not second-class manifestations of God's glory, but rather they are the ways in which he comes to us at in those things that are the heart of his glory, his mercy, his grace, his self-giving love. So it's, it's a wonderful Old Testament lesson to be paired with the wedding in Cana of Galilee. There is an alternative Old Testament reading in Amos 9, 11 through 15. Yes, there is. This Old Testament reading option highlights the hope of the new wine of the gospel reading, wherein there is the promise of redemption, resurrection, and the restoration of life on the last day. So it reads this way from Amos 9, 11 through 15. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord.
So, Todd, I think you can see how in this Old Testament reading, it's just a proclamation of the Lord that's filled with such joy. And it offers to us in language that we can understand a description of the life to come, the life of holy communion with the Lord in the resurrection on the last day, which draws upon experiences that we have now of feasting and merriment and the celebration that involves wine, but one in which there is no more sin, no more hardship, no more sorrow, and a life of unending joy in an eternal fellowship and communion with God. So this is the new wine of the gospel, so to speak, of which that transformed wine in the gospel reading for the day is pointing us. The gradual is Psalm 107, verses 20 and 21. How does it read? He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of men. Remember when I was uh, talking about the gospel for the day, the wedding in Cana of Galilee and the transformation of the water into wine, I highlighted from the small catechism what we typically think of in the section on baptism. You know, it's not the water indeed that does these things, but the word of God in and with the water that does these things. And it's certainly the word of God that transformed that water into wine and the gradual accents and highlights the word of God as the source of salvation and healing. And it is a psalm of thanksgiving for the Lord's word that that brings that healing to us. And uh, the church of the baptized faithful, as we gather together for the celebration of all of these epiphanies, knows those epiphanies, the manifestation of who Jesus is and what he does in no other way but through the faithful word of God, through the prophets and apostles. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the second Sunday after the Epiphany. We'll get into the Epistle from Ephesians next. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with Herod's perplexity, feeding of the 5,000, Peter's confession, take up your cross, and transfiguration. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Since 1973, pro-life advocates have been gathering annually in Washington, D.C. to march for unborn life. And since the overturning of Roe v. Wade last year, this movement has taken on new direction and new focus. To learn more, pick up your copy of the January issue of The Lutheran Witness, titled Life After Roe, and learn more about what the pro-life movement is now doing to stand up for life. Visit cph.org witness or witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Equipping the priesthood of all believers, you're listening to Issues Etc. Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. 
Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook, facebook.com slash lutheracademy. final stanza of the Epiphany hymn, The Only Son from Heaven. We're looking forward to the second Sunday after the Epiphany. Pastor Peter Bender, director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy, is our guest. Peter, what's the epistle for this coming Sunday? The epistle that is appointed in Lutheran service book is Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, which is the great marriage chapter in St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. There's an alternate epistle from Romans 12, which is actually the the original epistle assigned for this Sunday. But I think that the choice in LSB to have Ephesians 5 as the main epistle for the day is particularly appropriate considering the times in which we live, how marriage between a man and a woman is under attack, and to speak against any liberal notions that are in the liberal church that Christ has obliterated the order of creation, redefined what life is like since the fall into sin, and that the gospel means that there are no distinctions between husbands and wives or men and women. No, rather, this particular epistle not only holds up the order of creation as that which Christ came to redeem, but also holds up Christ as the fulfillment of what God intended from the beginning, creating man and woman in his own image. So it reads this way, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, 
because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. So again, notice how in St. Paul's epistle here, it quotes from Genesis, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's the institution of marriage in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 2. This is a profound mystery because it bespeaks the mystery of the Holy Trinity and what it is to be made in the image and likeness of God. And then Paul says, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church, the church that gathers together as the bride of Christ to receive from him, her bridegroom, his gifts of love, which make her beautiful. Now, that doesn't mean it has no application to Christian husbands and wives, as Paul says at the end. Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. But this subordination of the wife to the husband is patterned after the church's subordination to Christ. She allows him to be her savior. She allows him to carry her sins. She allows him to die for her and to forgive her. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself, it should really read, her savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, there is an obedience to husbands that wives ought to afford their husbands. And there is an obedience to Christ that we afford to Christ as we submit to his will. But the primary focus here is the submission to his love, to his being our savior and the one who forgives our sin. And that's what makes us beautiful as his bride, the church, as he washes us with water and the word and presents us to himself, his holy church without blemish, holy and righteous. So the wedding of Cain in Galilee ultimately points to Christ and his church and what that means for Christian marriage. And this Sunday, Todd, is a wonderful opportunity to link together a Christian marriage with the ultimate marriage that fulfills what God intended for all of humanity in marriage. And that ultimate marriage is the union of Christ with his bride, the church. There is also an alternative epistle reading. The alternative epistle, and as I said, this is was the original epistle for this Sunday, uh, is from Romans 12, 6 through 16. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 
Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Todd, this original epistle for the Sunday is not without many connections to the theme for the day and particularly the gospel. It really speaks about what it means to live as New Testament Christians. It highlights what it means for us now to live under the gospel of the new creation rather than what we might call some sort of law of retribution and revenge. So we use our gifts, the gifts of God's grace, as ministers of the gospel and in our vocation as Christians in service to others. And love is without the hypocrisy of works righteousness and self-righteousness, but it is genuine. We abhor what is evil, but we hold fast to what is good. And rejoicing in hope, that eschatological theme that we can endure suffering in this life for the sake of bearing witness to Christ's suffering and mercy toward the downtrodden and those who have been experiencing the brokenness of the created order. But we do so rejoicing in the hope of the resurrection. We are patient in tribulation. We're constant in prayer. We contribute to the needs of the saints. We show hospitality. We bless those who persecute us. We bless and do not curse. And we rejoice with those who rejoice. That is the new life of those who have drunk in, if you will, the new wine of of salvation in Christ. So I really think it's a, it's a wonderful alternate epistle as the original epistle assigned for the day. How would you summarize this coming Sunday in terms of law and gospel? About two minutes or so. Yeah, just very briefly, our malady to which the law must be addressed. Number one, that God's creation and the order of creation is evil and is to be rejected. It is not evil. And we need to assert that over against the woke theology that is so prevalent in the popular culture. God's creation is good. Being a man is good. Being a woman is good. Being a husband is good. Being a wife is good. Having children is good. Marriage, the way God ordained it, is good. And it is a place in which we are enabled to experience the grace of God in a unique way. Uh, number two, that we look for God's glory in the places for which it is not to be found. Rather, we should look for God's glory in the places that he promises it, in the humble things of the preached word, catechesis, the bread and wine of the supper, which all leads us into the unique gospel for the day. And I, I would make three points here. Number one, Christ has redeemed the creation. He's redeemed marriage and family and what it is to be a husband and wife. And when we experience the weakness, the frailty, the sin within our own marriages and family, take heart. The fulfillment of what God intended for marriage is finally found in Christ, the heavenly bridegroom who has laid down his bride for the church and who makes all things new through the sacrifice of his blood upon the cross. Number two, Christ manifests his glory to us by his mercy and by 
his forgiving grace, which transforms our lives and brings us into fellowship with him. And so you see the water transforming into wine. It's the absolution of Christ. It is the mercy of Christ. It is forgiving grace of Christ that makes all things new in our lives now. And that is the strength for Christian living. Number three, the hope of the resurrection means that the present sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. An epiphany which we will experience in all its fullness on the last day but an epiphany to which the transformation of water into wine points us. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thank you again. Thanks, Todd, so much. When we come back, Dr. Mark Wood joins us, director of Witness and Outreach Ministry for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We're going to talk about a new study on worship attendance post-pandemic, It was already going down, worship attendance. What did the pandemic do and what demographics suffered the most? Then Pastor Andrew Gerke joins us to talk about the late Pope Benedict's study of Lutheran theology. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay with us. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc., Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.